In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, the events from Luke chapter 14 to Luke chapter 17 are connected with each other. So I like to give background from summary from Luke chapter 14. Uh, in Luke chapter 14, we read about how the Lord Jesus Christ had dinner at the home of a very wealthy Pharisee. And uh, he healed a man on the Sabbath and taught the Pharisees and all the people who attended about humility and the mercies of God. Then he left the dinner and continued to teach the crowds of the Jews who followed him. We read in chapter 14 that huge multitude of people followed him. And he taught them about principle of discipleship. How to use the material wealth without being lover of money, uh, the rejection of secular world, and the obedience to the law. And these are necessary for discipleship. And he continued his teaching that began in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, to the end of the chapter of 16, Luke 16. Then he turned it to the disciples, and now from 17, he's addressing the disciples. As we read in verse 1 uh, from Luke 17, then he said to the disciples, so now he is addressing the disciples. The outline of the chapter, from verse 1 and 2, Jesus warns of offenses. 3 and 4, forgiveness. 5 to 10, faith and duty. 11 to 19, the lepers cleansed, the 10 lepers. Then from 20 to 37, the coming of the kingdom. So let's start from verse 1. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Uh, chapter 16 ended by the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And in this story, the Lord taught the disciples that eternity is real. There is real life after death. And no one will come from uh, the paradise to warn us. So we need to be careful. When actually the rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus to warn the people, the Abraham refused. And he told him, they have the law and the prophets. 
this is enough for them. And if they don't follow the law and the prophets, even if one rose from the dead, they will not believe. That's why it is a common sense to know that how we live and how we reflect the image of Christ to others, this actually will count and determine our eternal salvation. This world, since the fall of Adam and Eve, became corrupted. And because of the corruption of the world, it is impossible that no offenses should come. If you are expecting world without offenses, this is not a realistic expectation. And this shows the corrupt condition of the human heart. Despite, despite the guidance of God, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the gift of grace, the promises of glory, in spite of all of this, we still sin against God. And that's why God's justice must continue to punish those who offend others and who sin against him in spite of all the graces that he gave us. That's why the Lord said, yes, it is impossible to have the world with no offenses, but woe to the person through whom the offenses comes. It would be better for him to be drowned in the sea than to offend one of these little ones. So, as if the Lord is saying, the fate of a man who is drowning at the bottom of the sea is better than the fate of a person who is causing one of these little ones to stumble. To offend means to cause other to stumble, to cause other to sin. And a symbol of the divine judgment, the Lord used the millstone. Uh, and the same image of the millstone, you can read it in Revelation chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. During the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, there was a small hand-operated millstone, and this weighed just few pounds. The Lord was not speaking about this. Because most milling was done by huge, large millstone rotating. And they are turned by animal tied to the stone who move in a circle. And this is the type of millstone that the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to. Such millstone, depending on the size, it can be several hundreds of pounds. So if one of these millstones tied to someone and thrown into the sea, this person cannot live. He is destined to the physical death. As if the Lord said, and he who offend one of these little ones, then he is condemned into spiritual death. He is condemned to spiritual death.
Then the Lord, verse 3 and verse 4, take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Don't say no, his repentance is not sincere. He sent seven times in the same day, the same sin. No, if he returns to you seven times a day and tell you, I repent, I'm sorry, forgive him. With the fallen nature of human being, with the corrupted nature of humanity, revenge became natural to us. And it's very difficult, actually, to forgive when others hurt us. But as children of God, the rule is the rule of love, not the rule of revenge. And we need to be concerned about the salvation of every soul. The Lord just was speaking about offenses. When I refuse to reconcile, when I refuse to forgive, I will be a stumbling block to those who are weak in faith. And we should not offend the others. Also, we should not obstruct our salvation due to others' stumbling block because somebody actually hurt me and I choose not to forgive him, then I am risking my own salvation because of the stumbling block of others. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, when St. Paul spoke about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit is long-suffering. Long-suffering, if you dissect the word, means the ability to suffer for a long time. The ability to endure insults and other offenses that come in our way every day. That's why in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, St. Paul said, we should love one another with long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. What does this mean? St. Paul is telling us, don't be so sensitive. Bear with one another. Even when the Lord taught us the Lord's Prayer, we say in the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So the command to forgive is also found in the Lord's Prayer. And when the Lord said, if somebody sins against you seven times, he speak about unlimited forgiveness. Because seven is one of the perfect numbers. And it is a symbolic of fullness and completion. He said, if somebody sins against you, go, confront him. Rebuke him, mean, in love. Talk to him. When we are sinned against, when somebody sins against me, 
in a significant way, I should go and confront him. How to confront him? St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he said, speaking truth in love. So love isn't telling other people about it. Gossiping. And go to everybody and tell them about how this person hurt me. This is not love. Love also is not keeping inside me while I am boiling from inside full of anger and resentment. No, this is not love. Love is getting straight with the person who sinned against me. And I go, confront him, speaking the truth in love. If he repents, if the person said, I'm sorry, I did not mean it, forgive him. Don't give him hard time. Forgive him. This is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. You have no other option. If the other person told you, I'm sorry, the only option is to forgive him. But what we do with people who refuse to repent? Should we forgive them? We differentiate between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of the relationship. To restore the relationship as before or even better. Forgiveness is letting go of the debt. So, if the person did not repent, the person who hurt me did not repent, then there is no reconciliation here. So the relationship cannot be restored. But we still should forgive. And after we forgive, we wait on the grace of God to work in the other person's heart so he may repent and then we can reconcile with one another. And when the Lord told us, if he sins against you seven times a day, and he comes to you seven times and saying, I repent, forgive him, meaning what? Meaning we are not permitted to judge another's repentance. I cannot say your repentance is not sincere. I cannot believe you. Your repentance is not genuine. The Lord said, if he comes to you and tell you, I repent, forgive him. If someone had sinned against me seven times in a day and kept asking me to forgive him, I must not assume that he was not really sincere. So, Jesus commands me to still forgive them. So, in verses 3 and 4, there are three commands. Number one, to confront the person who offended me or who hurt me. Number two, forgiveness must be offered if the other person accepted my confrontation and he apologized, followed by a request for forgiveness. The third commandment, forgiveness must be unconditional seven times a day.
And the apostle said, verse 5, And the apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. Definitely after the Lord spoke about offenses, stumbling block, uh, hang many stone in his neck, being drowned in the sea, unlimited forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness. Definitely the apostles realized that these commandments are above their natural ability. They felt they are weak. And maybe some of us right now, they say, unlimited, unconditional forgiveness, it is above my ability. That's why they recognize it, that they need great faith in God in order to be able to forgive, in order to be able not to offend anybody. So they asked him, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Verse 6. So the Lord said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So here the Lord said, it is not the amount, the magnitude of faith that you have. That's why he chose the mustard seed with a very small seed. So he said, slight real faith, like mustard seed, which is the smallest of grains, would have actually the power sufficient to accomplish what you believe it is impossible. This small amount of faith can make you forgive unconditionally, can make you walk in a way not offending others. So, the Lord is telling us here the faith that what we need is the kind of faith, not how much faith is there. The quality, not the quantity. He said, if you have faith like mustard seed, you can say to mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea. Why the Lord chose the mulberry tree? Mulberry tree, it's known that the roots of this tree is extraordinarily strong. So to uproot it, that's almost impossible. Both St. Ambrose and St. John Chrysostom said this mulberry tree refers to Satan. So Satan, during our life here on earth, will plant mulberry tree in our life. Whether it is lust, sin of tongue, bad thoughts, sometimes we feel that we have sins that v- rooted very deeply in our heart. 
how to uproot this sin from um, my heart, maybe I feel it's impossible. Some people say, I fought against this sin for so many years. And it's like impossible to uproot it from my heart. But the Lord is teaching us, with faith, we can cast out Satan and all his works from our life. All these sins that are deeply rooted in our life. And then Satan or his works will have no place in our heart. So maybe unforgiveness, bitterness are deeply rooted in your heart. But in spite of the strong roots of these sins, through faith, you can uproot them. Can be pulled up by roots and planted in the sea. Faith partially depends on us. But also it is a divine and blessed gift from the grace. What do I mean by this? At the beginning, it depends on me, either to accept it or not. And after I believe and accept, then what makes my faith strong and firm is the divine grace. God will strengthen my faith. Uh, we know that with God, nothing is impossible. We know that all things are possible with God. Can you imagine that the same words are written about the believers? We read in Mark 9.23, all things are possible to him who believes. So as he said, all things are possible with God, it is repeated again for the believers, all things are possible to him who believes. So, you can do great works by your faith, the true and genuine faith. Then the Lord said in verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. No, he will not say this. Verse 8, But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say you are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. So the Lord told them about the great works that they can do through faith. 
That's why he added more teaching against the pride that may tempt them because of the great works that they can do. Can you imagine the shadow of St. Peter healed the illnesses of the people? If I walk and I find my shadow healing the people, I can be attacked with pride. St. Paul, they took handkerchiefs from his body and this actually healed people and cast out demons. So, there is a possibility to be attacked by pride. That's why the Lord here is teaching them against pride. And this message for those who really serve, for the genuine and faithful servant, whether clergy or servant. So he told them, if there is a servant and his uh, task, plowing. Plowing actually is hard work. It exhausts the strength and endurance of the plowman. And in service, as if we are plowing the heart of the people in order to uproot sins from the hearts. Plowing is a hard work in farming. And it's hard work in spiritual ministry also. And the second example, he told them if somebody is tending sheep. Also, tending sheep is hard work requires a lot of patience, attention to the details, caring heart, and that's what the servants of God should have. So the Lord pictured a servant coming in from a hard day of work, either plowing or tending sheep. And this is the work of the ministry. When the servant arrives home, the master does not compliment or feed the servant, or serve the servant. The master expected the servant to keep serving because there was still work to do. So, the Lord is telling them, when actually you go and preach and serve the people, don't get at the end of the day and say, you know what, I cannot forgive. After all this service, after all this hard work with these people whom I served faithfully and they hurt me back, I cannot serve them. I cannot forgive them. So the Lord is saying, no. You still, there is hard work to do after you go back to your home. Your spiritual canon, your time with God. Forgiveness. There are still great works of faith. So, yes, these works are hard. But the right attitude is not to expect compliment from people. No. St. Paul said, the more I love you, the more I am loved by you. Let it be. The more, as, as apostle, 
loved his people, the more they did not love him. But this did not stop St. Paul from serving the people. So as if the Lord is telling, pleasing God should be more than pleasing ourselves. When I am asking people to compliment me and to praise me, I am seeking my own pleasure. But when I forgive people who hurt me and insult me, I am seeking his pleasure. His pleasure should come before mine. His people preferred before myself. The glory of his name should be before the glory of my name. So, when the, Lord, when the disciples asked the Lord to increase their faith, as if he is telling them, in order for your faith to be the true faith, you need to be obedient, outwardly and inwardly. To be obedient to the will of God. As I told you, faith depends partially on us and on the grace of God. Our part is to be obedient to his will. Then he can bless our faith. And our faith will be this type that can uproot the mulberry tree and throw it into the sea. Faith was to show itself in virtue. By obeying, when we obey the commandment of God, then we will be virtuous people. Virtue will bring knowledge. Knowledge of God. And I will be known by God. And this knowledge will strengthen my faith. As St. Peter explained in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Then, so this person, these two servants, the plowing, the plowman, and the one who is tending the sheep, after returning home, they served the master. And after they served the master, now they can eat and drink. Meaning what? Don't expect that once you have this faith, you can move the mulberry tree, uproot it, and throw it in the sea. No, you cannot accomplish these great things just by this strong faith in a moment of a time. You need to labor, work hard patiently and bravely. Afterward, as he explained, you will eat and drink. You will be able to do these great things. And as you saw in this parable, the master did not thank the servant for such things. Because the servant, by doing his duty, he didn't do a favor to the master. He just did what he was obliged to. Even the servant did not ask for a freedom from his bondage as a reward of being faithful 
in his service. He tried to offer all his effort as a debtor. And if the master gave him freedom, this will be a gift. So this is the kind of attitude we should have as a servant. This is the true humility, not the false humility. Some people think that humility, to say that I did nothing for God, I did nothing good in my life. When we say this, we are denying the work of God in us. But true humility means to recognize that what God has done for me is much, much, much more than what we could ever do for him. Nothing we can do to repay him. Nothing. So, God has done more and greater things for us than we could ever do for him. And what he did for us, our salvation, he did it out of pure love. But what we do for him is out of duty, obligation, and gratitude. We love him because he loved us first. That's why in our preaching as clergy or Sunday school servant or parents, we need to emphasize what God has done for us. Many of us think that we actually did for God that much. Don't you hear somebody when he is going through a difficult time, he says, I did this and that and that and that for God. Why he allowed this to happen to me? <laughs> As if he did for God more than what God has done for us. This is wrong. When we realize that all that God has done for us in his son Jesus Christ, then we want to serve him out of gratitude. And actually, if we, we serve him day and night, will never be enough to express our gratitude. At least think how God forgive us all our sins, all our sins in all our life. God moved these sins from us and he carried these sins on our behalf. That's his love toward us. So, when we forgive somebody or any work of service we do it, there is no comparison between his forgiveness and our forgiveness. It is our duty, it's our obligation to do this in gratitude. And the grace of God is a gift. He gave it to us because he loves us. It's not a reward. We cannot earn it. All our work is the manifestation of our faith and make us open to receive the grace of God. So there is no room for bragging or boasting when we do our service 
if we take the attitude that our salvation is secure because we have done our part, then we are falling into self-righteousness. If we say if we say we did our part, no, you are falling in vain glory and self-righteousness. Verse 11, and this will be the last part in our Bible study tonight from 11 to 17. Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Why St. Luke mentioned midst of Samaria and Galilee? Perhaps he's just making a note of time and place. So we know where and when all these incidents took place. But also St. Luke want to say that the Lord did not come only to Israel, but he came also to Samaria, and he came to the Gentiles, because Galilee, there was a big number of Gentiles. So the Lord came for everyone. He wished the salvation of everyone. Then the story starts from verse 12. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. It was usual that the leper gathered together because according to the law, they cannot mingle with the rest of the community. Because leprosy is a very contagious disease. So they mingle together. And uh, they stood afar off. According to the law, they cannot approach anybody in order not to uh, contaminate him. Most probably these lepers heard about how the Lord healed many other lepers. That's why when they heard that he is drawing near to the village, they came together. Yet they did not approach him. They did not try to approach him. But they started crying, seeing him from afar. As we read in verse 13, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they cried with a loud cry, asking for mercy and begging the Lord to heal them. So, and when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. I want you to think about this verse. They cried, have mercy on us. So the Lord told them, go show yourself to the priest according to the law. So they start going toward the temple. Were they healed at this moment? No. So they start walking toward the priest while they were not healed. Which means they believed the word of God. 
And while they went, it was as they went, they were cleansed. Meaning, after their faith was demonstrated by obeying him and started their journey to the temple, they were cleansed. They were cleansed. So, here we notice that the Lord did not touch them. They did not see any sign of healing. He just commanded them. This was a test of their faith. Go, let the priest see you. Go and show yourself to the priest. Also, the Lord is teaching them here to be obedient to the law because he is the giver of the law. And as he said, I did not come to break the law, but to fulfill the law. So, uh, they should show themselves to the priest so the priest can judge that they are healed and now they can be received back to the community. Also, the Lord here wants to show the priests actual evidence of his power to heal and to cleanse. So the purpose of sending them to the priest to follow the law, because he did not come to break the law but to fulfill it, to teach them obedience, the priest may receive them back to the community and the priest themselves, now they have evidence about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we read, suddenly as they went, their leprosy disappeared and their flesh became as it had been in the days of health. So their obedience in following the instruction led to their healing. Uh, verse 15 and one of them when he saw that he was healed returned and with a loud voice glorified the God as they cried with loud voice have mercy on us now with a loud voice he glorified the God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan not Jewish not Israelite. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? So, the ten persons were healed, but only the Samaritan returned in gratitude to thank the Lord Jesus Christ. This Samaritan is not welcomed in the temple. So if he goes to the temple, they will not receive him there. This one who is rejected by the temple and by the priest, this one is the one who returned back to glorify God and give thanks to Jesus. 
This Samaritan would have go to his own priest because there were priests for the Samaritans. But they were not legitimate priests according to the law of Moses. He came in faith and prostrated, kneeling down at the Lord's feet, giving thanks to him. So the Lord asked about the nine, where the other nine? So the Lord actually wondered why they did not return back to give thanks, where they were. Some commentators said, maybe the priests who hated the Lord Jesus Christ hindered them from returning back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe this nine, because they were Jewish, separated themselves from this man who is Samaritan as they were cleansed. But definitely there is lack of gratitude. In the same way, our Lord notice when we are not grateful. Actually, there is always a reason to be grateful to God. These nine persons were busy, preoccupied with their healing of the leprosy, more than being preoccupied with God who cleanses them. Sometimes we cry and ask God for certain favor. And after God actually uh, gave it to us, either we forget to thank him, or if we thank him, will not be in the same sincerity when we were crying. But see this Samaritan, he was crying glorifying God. Verse 18, Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So here this man received, in addition to the physical healing, spiritual healing. So there was extra healing for this Samaritan person. So when the Lord told him, your faith has made you well, uh, he meant about the work of God in his heart. The other nine, their body healed, but not their heart. They got the outward cure. But this person got also the inward healing, the spiritual blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ judges the man's cry of gratitude and glorifying as evidence of his conversion. When this man returned and, and was crying, glorifying God. So this was evidence of his faith. That's why he told him, your faith has made you well. This statement, your faith has made you well, repeated four times in the Gospel of St. Luke. When he healed the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7, the bleeding woman in Luke chapter 8, 
uh, in Luke chapter 17, this man with leprosy, and also in the blind beggar in Luke chapter 18. These ten lepers were representation of all mankind. Not more than one of ten, ten percent, that receive signal mercies from the plentiful hand of God comes to give God any suitable homage. Only 10% of us return back to give God glory, as happened. But 90%, they receive favor from God, but they don't return back to give God glory. This concludes our Bible study tonight. But as I said, I will give a summary in Arabic. إصحاح 17 من إنجيل معلمنا ماريلوقا ربنا بيواجه الكلام للتلاميذ وبيقول لهم لا يمكن إلا أن تأتي العثرات لو أنت متخيل أن العالم مش هيبقى فيه عثرة يبقى أنت تخيلك غلط لأن من ساعة سقوط آدم وحوى والأرض تلعنت لما ربنا قال ملعون الأرض بسببك فلابد يكون في عثرات بس دي بقى الواحد ما ياخدهاش اكسكيوز ويقول ربنا قال لابد نتقتل العثرات فامشي كده بقى واعثر الناس ربنا قال لا اه العثرات هتيجي ولكن ويل للذي تاتي بواسطتي ويل للذي تاتي بواسطتي هنا ربنا حذرنا تحذير شديد جدا من ان احنا نسبب عثره للاخرين يعني إيه نسبب عثر الآخرين؟ يعني نخلي الآخرين يقعوا في خطية بسببنا بسبب سلوكي أو وقع الآخر في خطية ممكن ما شفناش ربنا بيتكلم بشدة كده زي ما تكلم في آية 2 قال خير له لو طوق عنقه بحجر رحى اللي ممكن من الصعيد يعرف إيه حجر الرحى ده كان يطحنوا بيه الغلة حجر كبير هيوج محدش يقدر يشيله بنفسه بيبقى يعني مئات من الأرطاء فيقولك يتعلق في رقبته حجر راح ويترمي في البحر وطرح في البحر ده معناه ينزل هيغرق قال ده أحسن له من أن يعثر أحد هؤلاء الصغار يعني ربنا عايز يقول العقوبة بتاعت إعثار الآخرين هي الهلاك الأبدي زي ما لو واحد اتعلق في عنقه حجر رحة وترمى في البحر ده هيبقى هيموت فهنا الموت الطبيعي لكنك الموت الأبدي عشان كده بعدها قال احترزوا لأنفسكم خلوا بالكم اوعدوا عثروا اخرين طب هيجي له واحد يقول له بس انا معثر من الاخرين اعمل ايه اخويا بيغلط فيا واعثرني واخويا مش شرط ان اخويا بالجسد يعني نما اخ في كتاب المقدس يقصد مؤمن زي 
يعني واحد يقول لك بص انا جيت الكنيسه هنا ولقيت في عثره انا مشاكل الكنيسه تاني فربنا كمل قال طيب واذا اخطا اليك وان اخطا اليك اخوك لو واحد اعثرني عثرني بجد قال فوبخه وان تاب فاغفر له طب اوبخه ازاي امسكه وانتهر وازعق له لا لا في افسس 4:15 يقول هي مكتوبه في الانجيل صادقين في المحبه لكن الحقيقه الترجمه الادق ليها متكلمين الصدق بمحب يعني تقول الصدق بمحب فروح عاتب اخويا ده اللي هو اعثرني اقول لي يا فلان الكلمه اللي انت قلتها دي اعثرتني وهنا ان الواحد علشان يعاتب اخوه بمحبه في بعض مبادئ اول مبدا انك رايح وفي نيتك انك تستلح او تسامح مش راح بس عشان تعرفه غلط الحاجة التانية يقولك ما تستخدمش كلمة انت استخدم كلمة انا بمعنى ايه لو انت قلت له انت اعثرتني انت بتهجمه ويمكن هو مش في نيته انه يعثرك لكن لما تقول له انا اعثرت من الكلمة دي انت اللي اعثرت ديا بتبقى اخف في العتاب بنقول له انت عملت وانت عملت انت دي بتخلي التاني يتضايق لما تقول له انا اعثرت برضو ما تتكلمش على تحليل شخصيته انما تكلم على عمل اتعمل حقيقي ما تقولوش انت انسان متكبر من انت عشان تدينه تقول له متكبر وانا مش متكبر لكن تقول له الكلمة اللي انت قلتها لي ده فعل في فعلا كلمة قالها الكلمة دي اعثرتني انا اعثرت من الكلمة دي لما احنا بنيجي نعاتب بعض بالاسلوب السليم احتمال كبير جدا جدا ان اللي قصادي يقولي طب انا اسف انا حقك عليك اول ما يقول لي انا حقك عليا انتهى الموضوع فاغفر له ما عندكش اي اختيار تاني ما عندكش تقول له كل واحد مننا في طريق لا لان زي ما قلت انت راح بتعاتبه عشان تستلح عشان تغفر طيب وايه رايك بقى لو الشخص ده كرر نفس العمله دي سبع مرات في نفس اليوم وان اخطاء اليك سبع مرات في اليوم انا تهيالي لو واحد غلط فيا وانا عاتبته وهي قال انا اسف قلت له خلاص احنا سامحته وجاني مره ثانيه في نفس اليوم قال لا خلاص انت بتهرج فين التوبه دي انما ربنا قال لك ان اخطا اليك سبع مرات في اليوم ورجع اليك سبع مرات في اليوم قائلا انا تائب فاغفر له برضه. ربنا عايز يقول لنا ايه من الايه دي؟ اول حاجه ان انت مطالب انك تغفر انليمتد من غير حدود. مفيش حدود للمغفره. ومفيش شروط للمغفره. 
ما تقولوش لا لازم تعمل وتعمل وتعمل عشان اغفر وفي نفس الوقت ربنا بيقول لك ما تحكمش في توبته لو قال لك انا تائب اغفر له خلاص ما تقولوش انا مش مصدقك توبتك دي اي كلام لو انت تائب صح ما كنتش تعيد نفس الخطا سبع مرات من انا عشان احكم في ضميره ان توبته دي سليمه ولا لا طيب ولو ما قاليش انا غلطان هنا بنفرق بين التصالح والتسامح سيد المسيح على الصليب سامح كل الناس بس لم يتصالح مع كل الناس فلو واحد انا عاتبته بمحبة وهو في الاخر غلط فيا تاني وما قالش لا انا فعلا غلطان خلاص يبقى هنا مفيش تصالح في اللحظة دي لكن هسامح لان انا مطالب بتسامح لا نهائي وتسامح غير مشروط زي ما الكتاب بيقول كما غفر لكم الله اغفروا وصل ليله ان نعمة ربنا تلمس قلبه عشان يعرف الغلط اللي عمله في يوم من الايام ونقدر نستلح مع بعض اكيد الرسل لما سمعوا الموضوعين دولت موضوع العصرة قالك لو واحد اعثر حد احسن له انه يتغرق في لجة المياه ولما قال على موضوع التسامح اللانهائي والتسامح غير المشروط فالرسل قالوا الكلام ده صعب ويمكن بعض من هنا دلوقتي بيقولوا الكلام ده صعب بيقى واحد يغلط فيها سبع مرات ومجرد يقول لي ام سوري خلاص يعني هسامحه كده فالرسل راح قالوا لي يا رب زد ايماننا يعني احنا الكلام ده اكبر من طاقتنا ما نقدرش نعمله فربنا قال لهم الحقيقة مش مهم كمية الايمان المهم نوعية الايمان فقال لهم لو كان لكم إيمان مثل حبة خردل حبة الخردل دي أصغر الحبوب حبة صغيرة جدا بس ناشفة قوي يعني إيمان قوي نوعية الإيمان مش كميته لكنتم تقولون لهذه الجميزة انقلعي وانغرس في البحر فتطيعكم يقول الجميزة دي الجدور بتاعتها عميقة جدا في الأرض وما تقدرش انك تخلعها بسهولة قديس يوحنا ذهبي الفم وقديس امبروسيوس قالوا الجميزة دي ترمز للشيطان وأعماله الخطايا اللي هي تأصلت جوه قلب الإنسان فممكن يكون خطية زي عدم المغفرة مش قادر اغفر مش قادر انسى خطية زي اعثار الاخرين او ان انا دايما بأعثر بالاخرين وده ممكن يهدد خلاصي انا مش راح الكنيسة الكنيسة دي فيها ناس بتعثرني فلو خطية من الخطية دي تأصلت جوه قلب الانسان 
لو عندك الإيمان الصغير ده بس الإيمان الحقيقي اللي بيظهر في طاعة وسيط ربنا زي ما نشرح هذا الإيمان يروح خالع الشجرة بتاعت الخطية ديا اللي مدت جزرها جوه قلبي يخلحها ويرميها في بحر النسيان وطبعا مع الإيمان ده الإيمان ده عطيه من عند ربنا الجزء بتاعي أن أنا بصدق ربنا ما هو ده الإيمان بطيع ربنا فلما بطيع ربنا ربنا بيديني نعمة بتاعته زي مثلا هنقولها كمان دقيقتين ثلاثة العشر البرص اللي ربنا شفاهم قال لهم اذهبوا أروا أنفسكم للكاهن فابتدوا يمشوا يروحوا للكاهن قبل ما يخفوا يقول لك وفيما هما منطلقين شوف اللي حصل الأول الطاعة اللي هي ثمرة الإيمان أمنوا أن طالما يسوع قال لهم روحوا يبقوا هيخفوا أي نعم ما خفوش دلوقتي بس ابتدوا يروحوا فالإيمان ده هو اللي جاب الشفاء عشان كده الإيمان يبتدي مني أن أنا أطيع أسمع كلمة ربنا لما أطيع ربنا هيخلع الشجرة دي من قلبي وممكن مع الإيمان ده يدي معجزات يعني ظل بولس ظل بطرس كان بيشفي الأمراض والمناديل والعصائب بتاعت بولس كانت بتخرج تصيب الأرواح الشريرة وتخرج الأمراض زي ما نقرأ سفر الأعمال فربنا بعد ما قال لهم إن لو عندك إيمان صغير كده تقدروا تعملوا الأعمال العظيمة ديا خاف عليهم من الكبرياء فراح ادهم مثل قال لهم من منكم له عبد لو أنا عندي عبد يحرث أو يرعى الحرت ده شغلانة صعبة جدا جدا في الفلاح بيحرث الأرض والخادم بيحرت في قلوب المخدومين عشان يطلع منها الخطايا والأعشاب الميتة والأفكار الشريرة والعادات الرديئة فهنا المثل ده على الخدام المخلصين في خدمتهم سواء مدارس أحد أو كهنة واحد بيحرت في الخدمة أو يرعى دايما الخدمة بيشبوها بالرعاية والرعاية ده برضو عمل مش سهل ده عايز واحد قلبه حنين ياخد باله من الخطيع يهتم بيه فبيقول العبد ده اللي بيرعى أو بيحرد لما يجي يروح للبيت بتاع سيده هل أول ما يدخل من الحقل سيده يقول له تعالى بقى تقدم سريعا واتكئ لا هيقول له اعدت ما اتعشى به وتمنطق واخدمني حتى اكل واشرب وبعد ذلك تاكل وتشرب انت ما جيش بعد يوم في الخدمه شاق ومتعب احس ان انا دينت ربنا وان ربنا مديون لي بقى دلوقتي وان ربنا بقى مفروض يعمل لي ويسوي لي احنا ناس كتيرة 
لما تتكلم بيتكلموا كأنهم مدينين ربنا ده أنا عملت وخدمت وجريت ورا الناس ديا وتعبت وفي الآخر ربنا يسمح بالتجربة دي في الآخر ده اللي يحصل لي اللغة دي لغة واحد مدين ربنا مثلا لو خادم أو كاهن تعب 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 في الخدمة بيحرد في الخدمة وبيرعى وبعد كده جات له شوية إهانات يقعد بقى متضايق كده يا رب بعد كل اللي عملته ده أتشتم على السوشيال ميديا دي أخرتها يا رب بدل ما 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 أتقدر لا ده اللي يحصل فيا فهنا ربنا عايز ينزع الفكر ده من ذهننا لا ده انت بعد ما تروح حتى لو لقيت في اهانات لسه عندك العمل العظيم بتاع الايمان انك تسامح وتغفر وانك تنسى وانك تطلب خلاص الاخرين لان ده هو ده طمنتك واخدمني حتى اكل واشرب هو ده اللي بيرضي ربنا يبقى ارضاء ربنا قبل ارضاء نفسي ولاد ربنا قبل نفسي مجد اسم ربنا قبل مجد اسمي وبعدين ربنا وعدنا قال وبعد ذلك تأكل وتشرب أنت بعد كده ربنا هيكرمك أكرم الذين يكرمونني طب ليه أنا بعمل الكلام ده ليه ربنا بيطالبني بكده لأن أنا اللي مديون لربنا مهما عملت بماذا أكافئ الرب عن كل ما أعطني يكفي خطاياي التي هي تستوجب الموت يكفي أن ربنا حمل كل خطاياي في نفسه في جسده ومات على الصليب بدل مني عشان يديني أنا الحرية عشان يديني المجد الأبدي مهما عملت مهما عملت مش أعرف أشكر ربنا زي ما الاسم بتقول أشكرك يا رب وتشكرك عني ملائكتك وخليقتك جميعا لأني عاجز عن القيام بحمدك كما يستحق حبك فهل رأينا حبا أعظم من هذا اوعى تصدق في لحظة من اللحظات إنك دينت ربنا مهما عملت من أجل ربنا إحنا مديونين له عشان كده ربنا قال فهل لذلك العبد فضل لأنه فعل ما أمر به لا أظن هل إن أنا عندي فضل إن أنا تعبت في الخدمة وبحرت في الخدمة وفي الرعاية وبعد كده ما جدت ربنا واحتملت الإهانة اللي جاتني واحتملت الصليب اللي جاني ليه فضل؟ لا أنا فعلت ما أمرت به وكل اللي فعلته ده لو حطيته في كفة واللي عمله ربنا من أجل أنا في كفة نحن في الموازين إلى فوق كان البابا شنودة يقول إحنا لم نصل لدرجة العبد البطال اللي هو يفعل كل ما أمر به 
هو مين فينا فعل كل ما أمر به مين فينا يعني حتى المستوى ده ما وصلنا فربنا دهم المثل ده عشان يحافظ على تواضحهم لألا بعد الخدمة الناجحة بتاعت الرسل والمعجزات اللي بيعملوها يقع في الكبرياء فربنا قال لهم لا بولس ده اللي تعب أكتر من الرسل مش كده بولس لما ابتدى يدفع عن رسوليته قال اقبلوني كمختل العقل لأن أنا مش مفروض أفتخر باللي أنا بعمله أفتخر بإيه ده أنا لم أفعل إلا ما أمرت به وأنا اللي مديون لربنا كذلك أنتم أيضا متى فعلتم كل ما أمرتم به فقولوا إننا عبيد بطلون بطلون يعني ما لناش فايدة لأن من غير نعمة ربنا ما لناش فايدة لأننا إنما عملنا ما كان يجب علينا عملنا ما كان يجب علينا ربنا خلص حواره مع التلاميذ وابتدى يمشي وفي ذهابه إلى أورشليم اكتاز وسط السامرة والجليل السامرة والجليل قديس لقى الذكر كده عشان يقول لنا أن هو جيل اليهود وأيضا للسامرة اللي هم كانوا أعداء اليهود والجليل كان الأمم كان في ناس كتير من الأمم سكنين في الجليل لو فاكرين خريطة أورشليم الجليل في الشمال في الوسط السامرة في الجنوب أورشليم فهو نازل أورشليم أنه رح عشان يخش أورشليم عشان الصليب ففي الرحلة دي بيعد على الجليل والسامرة فهو دخل في قرية من القرى استقبلوه عشر رجال بورس فوقفوا من بعيد البرس ده مرض اللي هو الجزان مرض معدي جدا جدا فكان ممنوع ان هم يتعاملوا مع النبي ولو واحد ابرس شاف حد جاي من بعيد يقول ابرس ابرس عشان ما قربوش منه عشان ما يتعدوش بس كانوا بيتجمعوا مع بعض ما هم كلهم زي بعض بنفس المرض فاكيد هم سمعوا عن المسيح والمعجزات الشفاء اللي عملها وشافها ناس بورس قبل كده فاجتمعوا هم العشرة وكانوا واقفين منتظرين بس واقفين من بعيد عارفين ان هم قدروش يقربوا منه فاول ما شافوه صرخوا يا يسوع يا معلم ارحمنا لدلينهم عارفينه وعارفين قدرته على الشفاء فصرخوا بإيمان كلمة صرخوا يعني بإيمان فنظر وقال لهم اذهبوا وأروا أنفسكم للكهنة وفيما هم منطلقون طهروا دي اللي شرحتها من شوية قال لهم روحوا وارن نفسكم للكهنة فابتدوا ينفذوا أطاعوا ما قالوش لبعض طب مش لما نخف الأول هنروح للكهنة وإحنا لسه جسمنا البرس موجود عليه لكن هم لا أمنوا طالما هو قال روحوا للكهنة يبقى هنخف فابتدوا يمشوا في الطريق بسبب طاعتهم ديا شوفوا بسبب طاعتهم ديا انتهروا عارف لو قال احنا ننتظر غات لما نخف ونروح ما كانوش خف واحد منهم لما رأى انه شوفيا رجع يمجد الله بصوت عظيم زي ما كانوا بيصرخوا بصوت عظيم يا معلم يا يسوع ارحمنا رجع يمجد ربنا بصوت عظيم برضو الشكر بنفس درجة الصراخ لربنا لما نكون في ضيق 
وخر على وكيه عند رجله شاكرا له وكان سامري عارفين في عداوة بين السامرة واليهود والسامريين ما كانوش يقدر يخشوا الهيكل ولا الكهنة يرحبوا بيهم وكان في كهنة البعل دولة الكهنة بتوع السامرة بس الأخ ده بدل ما يروح للكاهن بتاعه وده كاهن غير معترف بيه حسب شريعة موسى دولة كانوا كهنة بعل رجع للسيد المسيح التسعة ما رجعوش ما رجعوش ربما الكهنة منعوهم انهم يرجعوا لانه ما كانوا مش بيحبوا يسوع بالرغم ان السيد المسيح لما قال لهم قالوا انفسكم للكاهن اول حاجة علشان يبين ان هو خاضع للشريعة تاني حاجة عشان يعلمهم الطاعة تالت حاجة عشان الكهنة لما قولوا دولة شوفيو يقدروا يرجعوا للمجتمع اليهودي ويتعاملوا معاهم والناس تقابلهم ورابع حاجة عشان يري لهوتو للكهنة لعلهم يؤمنوا به لكن ما رجعش غير السامري ده فربنا استغرب قال أليس العشر قد طهروا فأين التسعة ربنا أحيانا لما نصرخ له نطلبه في وقت دقيقتنا ويجاهب استجيب تلبطنا نيجي ما نشكرهوش خالص أو نشكر كده شكرا نشكرك رب وخلاص مش بنفس القوة بتاعت لما كنا بنصرخ ربنا بيصعب عليه الله مرفين الصراخ ده مش أنا شفيته مش أنا اديتله الطلبة بتاعته ولا زي ما بيقول المثل صام وصدل لأمر كان يطلبه ولما قضي الأمر ما صام وما صلى في ألفين التسعة ألم يوجد من يرجع ليعطي مجدا لله غير هذا الغريب الجنس السامري هو لحيد اللي يرجع يمجد ربنا التسعة الباقيين خدوا شفاء جسد لكن ما خدوش شفاء روح إنما ده لما رجع ده كان كانت علامة إن هو عنده إيمان عشان كده خد الشفاء الروح خد نعمة بقى زيادة ثم قال له قم وامضي إيمانك خلصك إيمانك ظهر في النين في الطاعة وأيضا في الرجوع لربنا إنه شكر ووعد مجد ربنا هل نقدر نقول إن 90% من الناس اللي ربنا بيعمل معهم أعمال حسنة وبشكروش ربنا ربما أكتر كان بس 10% اللي برجعوا لربنا ده ينهي البيبل الصادي بتاعتنا النهاردة من لقى صحة 17 بالله لنا المجد الدائم إلى الأبد آمين